Good morning, Victory! Good morning, good morning. Good to see y'all. My name is Troy. My wife, Darla, and I get the absolute privilege to pastor this church and just wanted to say thank you for coming. If you are visiting with us, we're so glad to have you. Don't forget to reach out to those connection cards or text to connect so that we can, again, reach out, make connection, and continue to build our relationship with you. Uh, a couple announcements before we get into the Word today. Uh, this is a busy week for us, and let me explain what I mean. This Easter Sunday, y'all know this Sunday's Easter, right? Coming up a week from, y'all aware of that? It's Easter. You might be aware of that. Um, so we got a big day. We're going to try out two services on Easter Sunday. Come on and get God. Yeah, we're excited about that. So let me tell you how this week's going to work starting today, all right? Today, if well, here's what we're asking, for everybody to join a dream team so that we can provide the excellence that we have in leadership across both services. We'll have a 9 o'clock and an 11 o'clock service. Uh, we already got people already saying, oh, I can't wait for the 9. Oh, I can't wait for the 11. And we believe, listen to me, we believe we're going to be able to reach so many people this way. Uh, we're going to, we're, we're, we're kind of socially, social media blasting about what we're doing, but it's really, it's not even just Easter Sunday because the temptation will be, oh, we're getting ready for this big day and just kind of, we'll go back down. What we're doing is we're making room for God, all right? We're, we're making room in, in this building so that as we get through the summer, as we get ready in the fall and we come into at the movies, right? <laughs> Uh, so many great things are going to be happening. We want to make room for people to be able to come in and enjoy this. So that's what we're doing this Sunday. We're trying. So, so here's what happens. Today, if you're not on a dream team, do me a favor. And after church, go through Growth Track. Take about 35 minutes. You can get all the information you need about the church as well as you. We can get you on a dream team. And we can get ready to staff both services, 9 and 11. So that's today after church. Look at the person beside you and say, you're going to Growth Track. Y'all didn't do that with nearly the amount of passion I want you. You're going to go check. All right, let's try it. Let's try it like next Sunday's here, and there's 300 people on campus, and nobody's serving in kids' ministry. You ready? Now look at them and say, you're going to grow track. Yeah, you don't want to be in here with your kids. That's what it is. Last thing you want is your kids in here with you. Uh, so that's this Sunday, and then Wednesday night, if you want to help, we're meeting here at 5.30. We're going to be stuffing eggs for the park social on Saturday, so that's Wednesday night. You can find that information on our calendar, but if you want to show up at 5.30 and help, that would be great. Count Zenobia, I know, would love it. And then that Saturday, as uh, Zenobia said, 11 to 3, I believe is what she said. I might be wrong on the time, is the actual egg hunt cookout time to be together. And then Sunday morning is our huge Easter extravaganza. Every year as a church, we've had the school property, so we've done egg hunts after church. But obviously with our property now, we're not able to do that, and we're still connecting with the community to try to get involved in what they do. And so this year we're doing it Saturday and then coming together. Let me tell you real quick about Saturday. We are not blasting the community about it because it's really, it's really more, we're just kind of trying to be prepared for our church, but I do want to encourage you to invite your friends. So we have enough, we're going to have enough food, we're going to have enough eggs, so if you want to invite somebody, maybe you're trying to get them to come to church on Easter and you want to invite them to that first, do that, let's be together, let's have a great time together. Uh, I know y'all know this, but Easter is the easiest Sunday to get people to church. Almost every person is planning to go to church somewhere, and so let's bring them here so they can meet their family, hear the message of grace, and then they decide to go to church every Sunday. Amen? Amen. Amen. All right, you ready for the word? All right, open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 15. If you got your paper Bible, great. If you don't, you can look it up on your phone. Luke chapter 15, we're going to start at verse 25. I'll give a little bit of explanation on how we got there, Luke 25. We're in a series right now called Welcome Home, and we are studying through the, the parable of the prodigal son. 
We'll bring it to a close next Sunday with what I believe is my favorite message of this series. Uh, we're going to talk something. We're going we're to talk about something that I think a lot of us have never heard of before, and it's going to be eye-opening about the grace and the relationship of Jesus Christ. And so that's going to be huge. You want to be here for that. You don't want to miss it. You want to bring your friends to it. If you've got any friend or family member that grew up in religion and they've got kind of a, a messed up uh, perspective of Christ and grace. You want them to be in the building next Sunday, trust me. Uh, so, so parable of the prodigal son, we've been talking about it for the past couple of weeks. You've got two sons. The youngest son asks the father for his inheritance early, runs away, squanders it on wild living, comes back, and he's celebrated. And last week, we introduced for the first time a second character in the story, or a third if you're counting the father, and that was the older son. And we talked about his perspective and how he was reacting to the younger son being celebrated from returning home, even though the younger son had been, uh, been out doing his own thing, sinning and all those kind of stuff. So we're going we're gonna to continue talking about the older son today and dig a little bit deeper. So that's why we're starting at verse 25, Luke 15, and it goes like this. Now, keep, before we start reading, keep in mind that the younger son has left. He's blown all of his money on wild living. Now he's returned, and the father has thrown this huge celebration with a ring and a robe and sandals, and they've killed the fattened calf, and they're partying. We're going to talk about that next week. They're partying for the younger son, and now the older son's about to hear about it. Here we go. Luke 15, verse 25. It says, Meanwhile, while all that was happening, the other son, the older son, was in the field. And when he came near to the house, he heard music and he heard dancing. That's how crunk they were getting. He could hear the dancing. Y'all remember the word crunk? Anybody? So I'm almost 40, guys. Okay. I, I don't know what crunk is these days. Lit, legit, too legit to quit. Okay. All right. Sorry. Holy Spirit's leaving the room. So, so he called one of the servants and he asked him, hey, man, what's going on? And he said, your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he's back home and he's safe and he's sound. We're about to party. The Bible says that the older brother became angry, and he refused to go in. He wasn't going into the party. So his father came out of the party and went to him, and he pleaded with him. But he, the older son, answered his father, Look, listen, Dad, all these years I've been slaving for you, and all these years I've never once disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat. He got the fattened calf, and I never even got a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, we talked last week how all of a sudden he's not his brother, right? This son of yours who squandered your property with prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. What's up, dad? What's going on? To which the father replies, my son, you're always with me and everything that I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and we had to be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now he's found. I want to talk to you for a moment, and I want to answer this question. Am I winning? Am I winning? I don't know, maybe a year or two ago, it got real popular, this statement, hashtag winning. You know what I'm talking about? Like, people would post about the, their accomplishments, and they would end it with hashtag winning. And, and it's just kind of interesting, because you got to learn, like, people's, uh, uh, their perspective of what it meant to win, and when I was young, and, and I'll see how y'all feel about this, when I was young, you knew that you were winning because you got a prize, right? Like you knew you won because you got the trophy. And nowadays, we live in a culture where whether you win or not, you get a trophy, right? You get the trophy just for participating. 
trophy is no longer an identification of whether or not you won. It's just the proof that you played the game. For example, me and my friend Tommy, we got the opportunity to co-coach our kids' soccer team. So his son, Wyatt, was playing. My daughter, Casey Ray, was playing. And we co-coached the team. And, and I, I guess it was probably, what, five, six, seven-year-old kids, something like that. And it was a lot of work, okay? It was a lot of work. And, I, and, and some kids were really good, and some kids, bless their hearts, should never be on a soccer field again. You know what I mean? Um, and, and throughout the season, we won one game, all right? It was the very last game. When we won that game, I was running out in the field, and the coach of the other team, a young lady, looked at me and said, set her down, coach. And I said, it's the first game we won all season. And she said, okay, go ahead and celebrate. You know, like we were so excited. I think, let's say we played, I don't know, maybe 10 games. So at the end of the season, we were one and nine, all right? That's how we were working. We didn't have playoffs or anything like that. But what was interesting is like two games before the final game of the season, the YMCA, uh, you know, coordinator or whatever came to us and gave us this plastic Ziploc bag of these rubber medals. They gave them to us before we even played the game, all right? Like they were trophies for winning, but we didn't win anything. So we gave out medals to all these kids, and they were one and nine on the season, all right? And they got medals, but everybody got medals. Like, like every team got the same exact medals. And now listen, I'm, I'm not saying that's wrong. Don't, don't, you know, jump on me. I'm not saying you shouldn't celebrate kids. I get it, right? They're like six years old. So by all means, you don't need to walk up to them and be like, you know what? You suck. You're not getting anything. <laughs> you know, although if some of our kids would be better off if we did. But, you know, I get it. I get it. Oh, sorry. I'm just saying. Don't leave yet. All right. Wait till 9 and 11. So, so we're just processing that whole thing out. And, and the reason I'm telling you this is because here's where I'm, here's where I'm standing as I look at our culture today. It's getting harder and harder to know if we are winning. You know what I mean? Like, it's getting harder and harder for us to identify whether or not we're winning. Like, are we winning in our marriage? It's getting harder and harder to define that. Are we winning as a parent? It's getting much harder to define that. Are we winning financially? Are we winning successfully in our career? Are we winning spiritually? And I don't know about you, but sometimes, watch this, when I feel like I'm winning in one area, I feel like I'm losing in another. You know what I mean? Like I work really hard to win at my job, but then I feel like I'm losing at home. And you have all these games that you're trying to play and all these areas that you're trying to win, and it's getting harder and harder to know if we're winning because we used to know if we won. But now it's all skeptical and it's all up to how people feel and what people think, and we have to perform. Like other people perform on social media and all these things, and we honestly don't know. We're exhausted, not because we're not playing enough games, but because we're not certain on which ones we're winning at. We, we think we're winning here. I, look, all the time, I joke with my wife about this, all the time, I think I'm winning. And then she'll come and be like, we need to have a conversation. And I'm like, I was losing the whole time. Like, I thought I was winning the game. I thought I was undefeated. But it's so difficult trying to learn the process. And, and here's ultimately what it comes down to. That even when we read the Bible, sometimes the people who are blessed don't look like they're winning at all. It's harder to define a win. When Jesus got up to preach his first sermon at the Sermon on the Mount, in Matthew 5, he started talking about the Beatitudes. and He said, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. He said, blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek, 
right? Blessed are the persecuted. So as he's preaching, what he's saying is the one who is blessed doesn't even look like they're winning at all, right? But it all depends on the the cause and the effect because what he said was, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled. He said, blessed are the meek for they will inherit the earth. And ultimately what Jesus is saying, and it's what I think this whole sermon should be about, is this. In order for you to have clarity, in order for you to know if you are winning, it starts by you and I defining what a win is. In order for us to know if you're winning. If you want to know if you're winning in your marriage, husbands, listen to me because normally we're the ones that get it wrong, okay? It's important for us to talk to our spouse and know what winning is. Not getting a divorce isn't winning. Okay? Don't get to 60 and be like, well, we didn't get a divorce. I guess we won. That's not the case. When it comes to parenting, it's important for, listen to me, mom and dad. Listen to me, single mom. Listen to me, single dad. Listen to me, grandparents. It's important for us to know what winning is. Winning cannot be, I want my kids to behave. They can't be winning because you're going to be winning one moment, you're going to be losing the next, right? All the time. If we want to know if we're winning financially, we have to know what winning is. If we want to know if we're winning spiritually, we have to know what winning is. We have to define it. It can't just be, I don't want to sin. There has to be a clear definition of what it means to win in those areas. And this right here is the exact tension that we see in Luke chapter 15 between the father and the older son. Here's the tension. The tension is that the older son and the father have two totally different definitions of what winning is. The older son has this definition of what it means to win. And the father has this definition of what it means to win. And the tension that you and I get to read about, this argument, this confusion, it's all founded and driven by the tension that they share two totally different opinions on what it means to win. You could even say they were playing two totally different games. Not only do they have two different ideas of winning, they're playing two totally different games. Game. So in order for us to answer the question, am I winning, we have to start learning how to pick out our prize. In order for you and I to know if I'm winning, we have to pick out what the prize is going to be. Because once we have identified the prize, then we will know if we're winning based on the prize. Let me show you what I mean. Let's go back to Luke chapter 15 for a moment. I want to show you something. We're going to start at verse 28. It's on the screen. Watch this. The older brother became angry. He refused to go in. His father went out and he pleaded. But he answered to his father, look at all these years. I've been slaving for you. I've never disobeyed your orders. Now watch this. Yet you never gave me even a young goat. You never. And then the father's response is, but you've always been with me. Do you see the difference in language? The son says, I never got anything. Never. Meanwhile, the father's saying, I, you've always, never, always, always, never. How could you have such a drastically different visual and perspective? It's because they are settling for two totally different definitions of winning. 
And because the father has an idea of winning, his perspective is you've always had. And because the son has a different perspective of winning, his mindset is I've never had. What if? What if the misunderstanding on whether or not we're winning? What if the confusion on whether or not we're winning? What if it's not built on the absence of a prize? Watch this. But it's built on the fact that we aren't certain what the prize is to begin with. What if our inability to know if we're winning isn't because we don't have a prize? It's because we have misunderstood what the prize was. And so we've had it all along, but we never considered it to be a prize. And here's why. Because the prize that you expect will always depend on the game that you're playing. Whatever prize that you're expecting is always going to be determined by what game you think you're playing. Let me give you the example of what I mean. The older son, he's playing this game of works. He's playing this game of performance. And so to him, the prize is self-gratification. To him, the prize is self-righteousness. To him, the prize is pride, which is why he says to his father, you never even gave me a young goat, a little, just a little goat that I could go, watch this, with my friends and celebrate and brag. Daddy, you never even let me take the car out and get my friends and show off who I am. You never let me win and build up my pride because I'm playing a game of works. Meanwhile, the father is playing a game of relationship, and to him, the prize is intimacy. And so he says to the son, are you kidding me? You've always been with me. We've been in the same house. We've been in the same room. You can walk up to my fridge, open up the fridge, and get something. You know what I'm talking about? You ever visited a friend's house, and you're like, hey, do you mind if I get a soda? And they're like, yeah, just go get out of the fridge. And you're like, feels weird. It's not my house. You know what I mean? But when you're at your house, you don't even, you're, not, you're not even all the way dressed going to the refrigerator. You know what I mean? Just give me that. He says, everything I have is yours. Everything I have. And so while one is playing this game of works, he feels like he never gets a prize because the prize is his pride. And meanwhile, the one who's playing this game of relationship feels like the prize has always been there because the prize is relationship and intimacy. Here's what I felt the Lord tell me. The prize of a works-based faith is pride. But the prize of a grace-based faith is his presence. When we're driven by a work-based faith, the prize we expect is pride. We want something. Let me show you what I mean. If you are living in a religious work-based faith, all you ever do is talk about how good you are, right? Look what I did. Look what I didn't do. Look how much better I did it than you. Look how much better I did it than them. It's pride. Your prize is pride because it's a religion. It's, it's a, it's a works-based faith. But when it's a grace-based faith, it has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with him. So the prize is all about his presence. Does it make sense? So watch this. The son is telling the father, I'm good at playing the game. But he never stopped to think if he was playing the right game. 
I'm playing the game right, but I never thought. Is it possible that I'm not playing the right game? He's winning, but winning at what? What's he winning at, y'all? So he's obeyed more? He's been around more? Is, is that what he's winning at? Is that the prize to be able to say that he's better than his younger brother? If that's winning, then he's winning. But I don't know about you. If my victory is to be better than somebody, then my victory's shallow. I'm winning, but winning at what? My, my youngest, Casey Ray, loves video games. She loves arcades, that whole field. And, I, I, you know, she, she loves to, she doesn't quite understand how money works. You know what I mean? Uh, she doesn't understand that to play this game, we'll spend like $1,000 for no reason. And so we took Veda and her skating at the Smyrna Skating Ring one time. And Veda goes to start skating with her friends. And Casey Ray's like, I want to play all the arcade games. So I'm like, great, sounds great. I spent $30 to get you in here to skate. Let's spend another $30 on video games, right? You know, because money grows on trees. And so we go over there and we, we cash out all the tokens and we're playing all these stupid games. You know, it's like you put a coin in and these buckets, the balls fall into a bucket and then we go to the next game and it's like a claw. And they're so lazy now that the, the circle is how many tickets you get and you just claw up the tickets. You know what I mean? So we're playing all these games for a good amount of time. We're playing for a good amount of time. We get done. I probably spent like $370. You know what I mean? Like it's just stupid. And we get done, and she's got all these tickets, and we take them up to the counter, and this little pimple-nosed 12-year-old, you know, is taking, or sorry, sorry, students. Um, and so <laughs> it's just him. You weren't. He is. And so they take the tickets, and they extend them through, and like, let's just say, I don't remember how many, let's just say he was done, and he's like, you got 400 tickets. And I was like, fantastic, man, equal to how much money I spent. That sounds great. A ticket, a dollar. And so he pulls over, and he goes, all right, you can get anything out of this area right here. And I was like, wait a minute, what about all the toys behind you, like on the wall? And he's like, no, 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 you can't afford any of those. He said, what you can afford, he said, you can get a couple of things. He said, a couple. You can get a couple of things out of this area right here. And I bent down and looked in that little glass case, and I was like, if I sold everything in this glass case on Amazon, I would owe somebody a dollar. <laughs> you know what I mean? It, it looks like someone picked up all of the trash toys and put them into this case. I'm like, are you serious? He's like, yeah, you can pick out a couple. A couple? I want the case. You know what I mean? Like, do you know how much? If I took the money I spent playing these games, I could buy every one of these toys, toys and still take Casey to McDonald's. This is insane. And so I looked at Casey and I was like, this is our prize? This, we, we just did all of this. We wasted all this money and all this energy and this is our prize? And meanwhile, my seven-year-old is like, what's wrong with you, Dad? And I'm like, do you see? This is our prize? Like the prize they want for 20,000 tickets is at five below for $3. <laughs> and y'all know I'm right. Ought to be a, somebody ought to arrest them today. It's just wrong. And I just remember telling like, this, this is the prize? And this is how I think with religion. This is the prize? I, I worked my butt off for years following all those rules, constantly condemning myself. And this is the prize? Pride? To be able to say I'm better than her or better than him? Meanwhile, the Bible says that my best performance will never be in comparison. It'll be like rags and riches compared to Jesus. This is my prize? 
And I think sometimes it's so easy for us to lose track, watch this, that the, that the greatest prize, the greatest prize of the gospel is God himself. The actual prize of this, the prize of church, the prize of worship, the prize of serving, the prize of getting up and getting your kids dressed and getting them in the car and coming in, the prize is God himself. That's the prize. And over time, we've got so distracted by different religions and different concepts and other people's opinions that we've tried to reach for different prizes. And when we finally get that prize, we go, this is the prize? And the real prize of the gospel is God. And when we see that prize, we go, oh, it's so worth it because the prize is himself. Listen, forgiveness, blessing, favor, joy, these are all benefits of being a Christian. When we are a Christian, we get God's favor. When we are a Christian, we get joy in the midst of sadness. When we are a Christian, we are blessed. When we are a Christian, we are forgiven. But it's not the ultimate goal. These are all things that come along, watch this, and help us get to the ultimate goal. And the ultimate goal is God himself. He is the prize. He's the prize. And at some point, we've lost track of that. That the real reason we show up is not for pride. It's for his presence. That the real reason we read the scriptures are not so that we can feel like we're better than somebody else. It's for his presence. The prize, I don't, I don't know what's happened, y'all, in the world. I don't know. But I'm telling you, we have lost track, the, the world as a whole has lost track of the fact that the greatest prize of the gospel is simply God himself. Relationship with him. I was talking to somebody about Casey Ray's soccer team. They were asking me questions. And they were like, was it difficult? I think they were thinking about coaching their kids or something. I said, man, it, it was difficult. I said, me and my friend, we had to get Friday night for practice. It was like 5 o'clock practice. It was, and I mean, these kids came, they, they arrived like they had eaten an entire, you know, sugar bar before they got there. You know, they're like jumping crazy. Ah, you know, like, I mean, you wouldn't believe, like one girl's walking up, she's like, do you know I can bounce on my head? And I'm like, oh my goodness, you know, it was insane. And my friend, he's, he's ex-military, so he's, you know, he's very, he's like, and we're just, me and him are looking at each other, and we're just like, I, what do you do? you do, right? How do you coach these kids? And our kids were the craziest ones, you know what I mean? And so we're trying to figure this whole process out, and I was telling this guy about it. I'm like, man, you know, me and my friend, we'd get there. Uh, it was like at 5 o'clock. We'd do practice. It, we'd never felt like we really accomplished anything. And then, you know, we would go on the rest of the night. And then we'd get there Saturday morning and have the game. And, and I said, and then, you know, then we would lose. <laughs> and, uh, and he said, uh, he said, did you go to the championship? I said, they didn't even have a tournament. Our, our league didn't even have a tournament. And he said, so how many games did you win? I said, I won one game, the, the last game. We won the last game. And so he says, I guess really for you it was like a waste of time. And I said, well, it wasn't because I understood the reason I was doing it. You see, I told him, I said, for me, winning wasn't the win. For me, it was being in the presence of my daughter. I said, the reason why I know I've won, watch this, is because to this day, my daughter has no idea where that medal is. She has zero idea our record as a soccer team. She doesn't know if we won. They didn't know after the game if they had won or lost. You know what I mean? Like, you would have thought they won the championship. Me and Tommy over there kicking, you know, kicking the wall. 
I said, she didn't know any of that. But she still tells people to this day stories about how her daddy coached her soccer team. You know what I mean? Because to me, the reward, the prize, wasn't pride. If it was pride, I was playing the wrong game. <laughs> if it was pride, I'd have been on that field. You know what I mean? Just kicking kids. Like, get down. You know, wasn't pride. My prize was her presence. And so regardless of the performance, I won because I was with her presence. Our purpose for playing the game always determines our prize. Whatever our purpose is, if it, as, as, again, if it's pride, it determines the prize. If it's God's presence, it determines the prize. If we're not careful, if we end up playing for the wrong reason, we will value the wrong reward. And so that's why it's important that we know what we're playing for and what the purpose is. Because when we understand what the purpose is, it determines what our prize is. Think about this. Worship guys, all, all, worship ladies, everybody who's leading here in worship, listen to this. If, 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 your play, if, you, if your reason is wrong, if your purpose is wrong, then you'll be up here and you'll be singing and performing for yourself, for pride. And if that's your prize, then that's your prize, Right? If that's your reward, then that's your reward. And if we're not careful, when you're serving here at Victory, if you're not careful, if your reward becomes self-pleasure, well, I want to do this and I want to do that. If it becomes self-pleasure, then that's your reward. You know what I mean? Like, like that's what you get. That's your prize, that you felt good. And when we give, if we're giving for prosperity, then that's your reward. If all I ever do is get up here and preach because of provision, then that's our reward. But if we worship for his presence, then that's our reward. And it doesn't matter if we were seen or not seen or if we got a solo or didn't get a solo, right? Because our prize was his presence. If we're serving for his presence, then it doesn't matter what we're doing. It doesn't matter if we're opening a door or rocking a kid or pushing a button or playing a guitar because I'm doing it for his presence. And if somebody sees me and says, you're great, then praise God. But that's not why I do it. I did it because it pulls me closer to his presence. My purpose will always determine my prize. And if my purpose is to get closer to God's presence, then church, that is my prize. And everything else is just on top of the greatest gift the gospel gives us which is God himself, God himself. And what we end up seeing in Luke 15, and what Jesus ends up showing us as he's teaching Luke 15, is how to play a totally different game with different rules and a totally different definition of winning. Now, let me show you this. I, I was reading it again this week, and something came out that I had never seen before. And so I'm going to read it to you, then I'm going to explain to you how I got it. So Luke 15, 28 through 30 says, But he answered to his father, this is the older son, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you, and I've never disobeyed your orders. Then he goes on to say, But when the son of yours, my brother, who squandered your property and has hung out with prostitutes, this week I read it and I caught something for the first time. You ready? The older brother was keeping score. 
I've never thought about it like that before. That when he comes up to his dad and he says to him, I've been slaving for you. I've been slaving. Here's what he was saying. I've been working hard for you. And, and my brother, he hadn't been here. Right? So he's keeping scoring. And I, I, I've never disobeyed any of your orders. Never once have I disobeyed. And your, my brother over here, he ran off and disobeyed orders all the time. Then he said, on top of that, my, my younger brother squandered all your money, right? He got rid of all your money. Meanwhile, I didn't. Here I am. I'm saving money. And he said, and he hung out with prostitutes. Come on, Dad. And here he is. And I had never really caught it before. But as he's talking to the father, he's keeping score. And this is why he's so upset about the prize because he felt like he won the game and because he felt like he won the game he didn't like the prize and I think the interesting thing here is the fact that he never stopped to ask if he was ever actually playing the right game see I don't know about you but I, I think we all kind of have a little bit of the older brother in us you know what I mean? Like, I, th I think every one of us have a little bit of the older brother in us that just kind of naturally wants to keep score. Uh, I'll give you some examples in case you think I'm wrong. Um, there, there's, there's the marriage scoreboard or the spouse scoreboard. You know what I mean? There's the... Uh, <laughs> oh, we'll get to that. There's, uh, there's the friend scoreboard. There, there's, there's the giving scoreboard. There's the parenting scoreboard. For example, <laughs> the marriage scoreboard, right? Here's how this sounds. Well, I did the dishes last night. So she or he needs to do the dishes tomorrow, right? I did the dishes. I've done the dishes the past three days. You've never done the dishes, right? <laughs> or watch this. Y'all been here before. I did the dishes. Oh, I put the kids to bed, right? We're going back and forth, right? This is like LeBron versus Jordan, just one after another. It's, it's, it's that marriage scoreboard. That, that friend scoreboard, it's like, well, you know, I watched her kids for her. <laughs> now she should watch my kids for me, you know what I mean? Just this constant back and forth scoreboard, this, this giving scoreboard. Well, I got her a present. I got him a present. Guys don't really buy their friends presents, so we'll say, girl, I got her a present, $100. So her present for me should be at least $100. Because there's just, there's just something naturally in us. This is why I think Jesus used this as a story. Because there's something naturally in us that wants to slip into this scoreboard mentality. That no matter what we do, we want to compare ourselves to somebody else. And we want to compare, watch this, to somebody who's got less points than we do. Because we want to feel good about ourselves. And so when we come across somebody who's got more points than we do, we distance ourselves or we put them down by calling them names, right? Well, they just don't have a real hard life. <laughs> they just don't have kids, you know what I mean? Whatever we can do to try to even out the scoreboard, because that's the whole situation that we've been taught, is that in a works-based faith, it's all about the score. I, I don't know that there's more of a reckless scoreboard, listen to me please, 
than the spiritual scoreboard. I don't know that there's one that brings more condemnation, more heartbreak, more hardship and anxiety and depression and weight carrying than the spiritual scoreboard. It's tough. Because if any of us were honest, for every win, there's three losses. And when we start thinking that that's the game, we're upset because we realize we can never win the game. And here's what I know about men. I don't know this about you ladies, but you can testify later. I don't want to play a game that I can't win. And so when we're in a mindset that the point of the game and the point of the prize is pride, then we're playing a game that we feel like we could never win. And I love what John Ortberg said. He said, the hardest thing for us is to leave from being the prodigal son without becoming the elder brother. The hardest thing for us is to get over the fact that we're constantly losing and not move into a place of pride because we think we're winning. And as long as we are confused by what the prize is, then there'll be moments where we think we're winning but we're not winning at the right game. And you're winning, but you're winning at what? You know what I mean? Like, if that's your prize, then that's your prize. And so in this world where we're constantly operating by scoreboards, Jesus didn't come to help us with the score. He came to break the scoreboard. Came to remove it out of our life and out of our mindset and out of our constant daily steps to take it away. Because at least if it's going to be in every area, it will not be in my Christian walk with God. I know that everybody in every social media has been telling you that you're losing when it comes to your marriage. I know that everybody on Facebook tells you you're losing when it comes to parenting because their kids are angels. Guess what? They're lying. Their kids are demons. They just happen to catch one good picture. But that's what we're being told is that we're constantly losing. And I could sit here and preach an entire message about how you're winning in your marriage and you're winning as a parent. And as long as you're hitting your knees and going, God, I can't do it, you're winning. But let's just talk about the spiritual scoreboard. Let's talk about the one that you carry around the most. Because if the spiritual scoreboard's off, your marriage scoreboard is off. And if your spiritual scoreboard is off, your parenting scoreboard is off. And I could go all day. Your financial scoreboard, yeah. And here's what I thought was so incredible. That as the son shows up to tell the father that he's been winning at the game, the father says to him, grace changed the game. Think about that. He can't wait to tell him, I'm winning at the game. I, I've, I've obeyed everything you've asked me to do. I've never once left the house. Meanwhile, this son of yours is out doing crazy things. I'm winning the game. Dad, I'm winning the game. Son, it's a different game. You might be playing that game right, but son, that's not the right game. The game has been changed. Well, how do you visually see that? Well, here's the important thing for you to understand. 
no matter what section you're currently in, right? Because at some point we find ourselves in the older brother context. And then depending on what we're going through, maybe in the younger brother context. But depending on where you are in life, watch this, in the seasons of life, you kind of go back and forth, right? And so what does it mean when grace changed the game? Well, the Bible says that according to God or compared to God's or Jesus' cleanliness and greatness, that our great deeds are like rags of riches. So here's what it means. When you think you're doing good, it's really Jesus. That's what he meant by he changed the game. But here's what I love about grace. When you think you're doing really bad, it was assigned to Jesus. So this is what it looks like for the game to be changed. If we're looking at the scoreboard, the scoreboard is this. Am I winning or am I losing? Well, here's what grace does. Jesus did both. Jesus lost on the cross, and then he won through the resurrection. He both lost and he won. So that whether you see yourself as the prodigal or you see yourself as the elder, it doesn't matter. Christ changed the game. He took your name off and put his name on. For everything you've ever done wrong, he died for it. For everything that you've ever done good, he's better than you because he resurrected from the grave. And when we can learn that, watch this, we no longer need the scoreboard. Why? Because I can never do bad enough and I can never do good enough. That the only thing that matters about the scoreboard is Jesus. And when the brother comes to the father and he says, why are you celebrating? Why are we killing calves? Why are we playing Little John and the East Side Boys? Like, why are we, why are we getting crunk in here? Why are we celebrating? Here's what the brother meant. Why are you celebrating what he did? And he doesn't say it, but when I read it, I feel it. The father says, I'm not celebrating what he did. I'm celebrating who I am. So good. I'm not celebrating what he did. He thinks, the brother thinks he is because he's saying, if you were, you should be celebrating me. If we're celebrating a son, you're celebrating the wrong one. And the father says, I'm not celebrating a son. I'm celebrating who I am as the father. And when we're celebrating Christ and who God is, it doesn't matter which child we are. About a year ago, I guess, maybe in the 2020 cycle, we, uh, we went to Memphis to visit my, my in-laws. And my, my father-in-law, called him Poppy, second dad, definitely, um, he, he's, he's retired, and so he likes to play golf. And I've been trying to play golf, got a couple of friends, we've been trying it out together, not gone nice, not gone very well. Um, I just like being outside, you know, and so I, I told my father-in-law, I said, I'll, I'll play with you. And so we got some clubs and everything, had some friends give me some clubs, and we got to Memphis, and me and him went to a golf course to play. And we step up, and it was the very first time I'd ever played golf outside of putt-putt or top golf or something like that, you know. Get up, and for lack of a better word, it was terrible, okay? I did horrible. And let's just say, in case you're not familiar with golf, you'd step up to a hole, and you might, you're supposed to get it in the hole in four They call it a par four. My father-in-law would get it in four hits. I would get it in 14 hits. 
That's what it would look like. So we would get in the golf cart, and my, my father-in-law, he, he was so good and he's so focused that he was, he was really strict about his score. So we'd get to the golf, back to the golf cart, and he'd get his pencil out, and he'd be, okay, I did a four. And he would look at me, and he'd go, how'd you do? <laughs> and I was like, on what? And he's like, how'd you do on that hole? I said, well, what, what was it? A par what? He said, ah, oh, par five. And I go, 20, you know. And he'd do this every time. He'd go, ah, I think you got it in six. I was like, yeah, oh. <laughs> it's like, that's, that's some grace right there, Daddy. Yeah. I was like, well, thank you. Thank you. This wasn't even in my thoughts, but I'm going to say this. I'd come home and brag to Darla about the score her dad gave me. <laughs> Woo! That's what it means to follow Jesus. I'm not there yet. Hold on. We ain't there yet. So we get done with that whole, it was disastrous. Don't get me wrong. Or that, that, that day. A couple months later, we're back in Memphis, and he says, hey, we're going to go play with a couple of friends of mine. It's going to be four of us. I said, Poppy, listen, I'm going to embarrass you. Like, you've seen me in person. It's bad. He goes, nah, you'll be fine, man. Come on. So we get to the golf course. He says, me and you versus them. I said, you're going to lose. Like, this is, this is a bad idea for you. It's a bad investment. And he said, no, don't worry. We're going to play a scramble. The only thing I've ever known about scramble was eggs. And so I'm like, you know what? What's a scramble? I'll just show you. Get up. He said, get up and hit. So, so we get up, and he's off. Great hit. I get up. I tee off. Terrible hit. And he goes, come on. We're going to go get your ball. I said, what are we doing? He said, the way a scramble works is he said, me and you both hit, but then the next ball we play is the best ball. So he said, we both hit, but whoever hits better, you go pick up your ball, and we go to my ball, and you get to hit from where I'm at. I'm like, that's the most amazing thing I've ever heard in my life. I should play basketball like that. You know what I mean? Like if I missed a shot and you made it, we both are winning. Like it's amazing. So we did this, and there was probably two or three shots that were actually mine, right? But most of the time we're playing his ball. And it's amazing because I'd get up and I'd hit, boom, and it would be like, woo, and he'd like people would be ducking, you know. And then we'd drive over and pick up my terrible ball, and then we'd drive over to his ball, and I would take my ball and set it down where his ball was, and then I'd get to hit again. It was the most incredible thing. And so I'm, we're talking about this. We're driving. We're getting close to the game. And I said, so let me get this straight. I said, no matter how bad I play, if you play good, then at the end of this game, I get your score? Is that how this works? He said, yes, son. That's how this works. So what you're telling me is that God created golf <laughs> and made me bad at golf so I could understand grace? You know what I mean? For every golfer, he gave you golf so you could understand grace. That no matter how many times I hit the ball wrong, no matter how many times I hook, no matter how many times I slice, I think that's what they're called, I'm not sure. Hook, slice, no matter how bad I do, I get to pick up my mistake. And I get to walk back to the cross where God did what God did. And I get to start over where God is. And at the end of this whole thing, when this whole thing is over, no matter how bad I did, I get his score. Oh, come on. The son said, Dad, I've been winning at this game. The father said, no, 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 son. You're playing the wrong game. 
you know, now played golf with my father-in-law probably 20 times. Eh, that's probably a stretch, 10 times. And I'm getting better. I'm getting better. Am I good? But I'm getting better. You're getting better. But you know why I'm getting better? Oh, thank you, Jesus. Because when I step up to tee off, my father says, just give it your best. Just give it your best. And if, if you slice, Son, we'll go pick it up. And we'll take it to where I'm at. And you'll get another do. Come on, this is grace. If we think the prize is anything but his presence, then we'll keep playing the wrong game. And can I ask you something? If his prize is his presence, why would I saw Tommy pull Wyatt over a couple times during our soccer. And he would coach him. He would coach him. Never once Never once did I see him get on to him after a loss. Because the father knows how to coach, but at the end of the day understands that we're doing the best that we can. And he understands that the game was never about us winning or losing. He's already won. The game is about his presence. So that's what I just want you to be able to sit on today. For every person in this room that's getting tired, you've tried out different clubs. <laughs> well, maybe it's not the three iron. Maybe it's the driver. No, it's, it's the user. <laughs> you've tried different golf courses. Maybe there isn't so much. I never thought I'd have so many golf illustrations in a message before, but, you know, maybe it's for Tiger Woods. I don't know. You've just been so disappointed. And you keep trying so hard. My dad told me one time when I started playing golf, I'm sorry, but y'all got to get this. When I started playing golf, he said, uh, he said, my dad was a golfer. He's in Florida. We're talking. He said, he said how'd it go, son? I said, um, I said, I did okay. But I had some good hits and some bad hits. He said, here's what you need to learn about golf. He said, you'll have a good hit and want to play another 18 immediately after. He said, then you'll have a bad hit and throw your clubs in the water. <laughs> I didn't think about it then. But isn't that the culture and life we live in? Some days I'll do so good, I think God should put me up beside him. <laughs> and the next day I'm so bad, I think he should throw me in the water. You know what I mean? But yet the whole game is about you getting closer to his presence. 
So I know you messed up. But do me a favor. Just pull forward. When you mess up, don't break that golf club and throw it in the water. And don't dare turn your clubs in and walk away from God. Get in the cart with him. Drive over there and get your ball. Let him drive you back to the cross and do it again. And when you finally do hit a good one and you get on the green from your drive, don't you get happy. Don't you start going, ooh, I'm a better golfer than you. Because the next time you do it, bam. Amen? Do me a favor, stand with me for a moment. Father, oh, we love you. We thank you. Your grace. I'm so thankful for that illustration, Father. I'm so thankful that it's not about my performance and that my prize is not my pride. I'm so thankful that my prize is your presence. And if my prize is your presence, why would you want me to lose the game? Every person in this room that has been operating, focused on the wrong prize, I pray right now that you would just change their mind and understand that you are the prize. You are the prize. Your presence, getting to be in your presence, getting to worship person in this room has been told differently that if they don't perform correctly, they lose out on the prize. It's like one of those claw machines. It's just when they thought they had it, they, draw, they lost it. Affirm them right now that Christ died for them. That he resurrected for them. That they are the one you love. That they don't have to prove anything. That there's already room at the table for them. Not because of how they perform, but because of your perfection. Not because of what they've done, but because of what you Not because of who they are, but because of who you are.